Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to those tuning in to the show right now. As you all know, I am your host, Tavares Wilson, and always getting the last word. Now, let's get right into it, man. So, getting into some NBA news, NBA updates, things of that nature, and I wanted to start off with, first and foremost, the standings right now out in the NBA, both for the Western and Eastern Conference. So, let's look over and check that out real quick, ladies and gentlemen. So, Right now, we got Boston sitting at the top of the Eastern Conference at 22 wins. They're the only 22-win team this season, and they're the only 20-win team this season outside of the Milwaukee Bucks, who just reached the 20 mark at this point of the season. So you got them number one, you got the Bucks two, you got the Cavaliers, you got them at three, Nets at four, Sixers at five, Knicks at six, which is kind of surprising. I thought the Knicks... I know it's the early in the season, but I thought this team would be rallying right now. You got the Pacers at seven, you got the Heat at eight, you got the Hawks at nine, and you got the Raptors at 10. So that rounds up the top 10 spots out east. Now let's go out into the west. <clears throat> Excuse me. You got the Pelicans sitting at 18 and nine, both them and the Grizzlies, but Pelicans sit at the top at one, Grizzly two. The Bron, the, not Broncos, <laughs> the Nuggets, excuse me, wrong different team. They're 17 to 10. Then you got the Blazers who are 16 and 12. The Suns are 16 and 12. The Clippers are 17 and 13. The Kings are 15 and 12. The Utah Jazz are 16 and 14. The Mavericks are 14 even. And the Golden State Warriors are 14 15. Now, those are our top 10 teams at each conference. I'm giving you all some of my thoughts about these teams and what I believe they are and what they truly will finish as at the end of this season, whether they're in the top 10 right now or they're outside of it right now. So with that being said, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the Bulls out in East will make a push to work their way in the top 10. I do believe they're a better overall team than what the Pacers and the Raptors are. I just believe they have enough firepower and talent to help them cross that threshold at the very least and get them to play in tournament. I, I think they have that. Now, I can't say for certain about the defensive side for them. They're having some struggles this year. Lonzo Ball, who by all accounts, in my opinion, is their best perimeter defender. He's out for, it seems to be, this entirety of the season, more than likely. So that's a huge loss, that's a huge blow. And then you also have the, <clears throat> excuse me, then you also have out in the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Timberwolves, who I believe both these teams can sneak in over the likes of the Kings and the Jazz. And maybe even the Mavericks, if I'm being honest. I mean, I don't think Luka can keep up the pace he's been playing at. He can't continuously play hero ball all season. I just don't see that happening or working in his favor. now. Maybe he can, who knows? We, only the film and time will tell. But I can see the Timberwolves and the Lakers working their way up into the upper echelon and actually getting into that argument. But it's gonna take it's gonna take some time for them to do so. So we're gonna see. Now with all that being said, other NBA news that I have for you all right now, isn't anything going on too crazy. I know Steph Curry has suffered an injury against the Pacers after the after loss. He's supposed to be having an MRI, 
I'm not sure exactly what the results are because news haven't broken about that yet, but it, I know it is a shoulder injury, so we shall see how that works out. And in other news, LeBron James and the LA Lakers blew yet another game. Anthony Davis missed free throws, LeBron, ridiculous shots. This team needs to get it together. They expect to work their way in the playing tournament at the very least. They're just not playing fundamentally sound basketball at the end of games. They need to be better. They need to be more disciplined. And that starts at the top. And that starts with your two best players in Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They have to be better and they have to lead by a better example. So, in other words, just simply put, they can't afford to continuously just play lackluster effort and hope for the best each and every given night. They, they have to start winning some of these close games. And with that being said, I just feel as if they, they have to start honing in more on what they do well and just, just sticking with it more consistently instead of taking some ridiculous shots like LeBron has at the end or like how Westbrook has a tendency to do sometimes. He, he hasn't done it of late, but we know he has a pattern or a, a tendency to do so. So you want to see that kind of just go away as much as possible. So to Westbrook's credit, he's done a fantastic job. But you want to see that kind of dwindle with the entire roster because they're just not a, they're just not a shooting team. This team isn't a shooting team, ladies and gentlemen. They they're not knockdown shooters on the perimeter. They don't have knockdown shooters on their perimeter. They have guys who can make shots given here and there, but they don't have guys that simply put our Kyle Korver or Joe Harris type players. Well, that's their specialty. And they sit on the perimeter and they can knock down shots in the entire game more often than not. It's just not them. And they have to come to that realization and continuously play inside-out basketball. Because that's how they're going to make the play-in and that's how they're going to be their most competitive competitive themselves. If they, if they want to be anything, they have to be that. And with all that being said, guys... It's not really more I can say in regards to the Lakers. I do believe the Denver Nuggets are going to be legitimate threats now that they're starting to gel and get everyone back on the court and healthy. So that's my thoughts out west. I think the Heat, I think the Heat just need to make a move. Man. I, I think it's time to move on from some guys. Like I said in my last episode, I think it's time for the Heat to shop everybody and anybody, not name Bam Adebayo. And... I mean, you know what? I was going to say maybe Tyler Hero, but not even him. I mean, for the right price, I can move Tyler Hero. The only guy I can't move, I would have to say, is, is Bam Adebayo. I think he's the one piece on your team that you can't replace with picks or draft picks because what he has become and what he has done is something that a lot of people can't really get from someone of his status or the size he plays or the versatility he has on the defensive side. I, I just think you have to keep him. Everyone else, to me, replaceable. You can find points. You can find a scorer in this league off the bench more often than not. I mean, every other team you see in this league, they have someone that they have full belief in that he can come in and give them 15, 20 points a game. They, they have full belief in guys like that. 
whether you want to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, we talk about Jordan Clarkson, whether you want to talk about the older versions of um, Lou, Lou Will, what do you want to talk about? It's six men all around. Even Montrez Hill to an extent still. I just think his role with the Sixers isn't a good role for him. I think that's why you see such a production decrease from him. But they have guys, man. I mean, even with if you look at the Lakers six-man situation, Russell Westbrook. I mean, I'm, I'm more than confident that the Lakers feel as if Westbrook can get them 15, 20 a night off the bench. It's, it's, it's guys out there that can replace the production hero gives you. That's all I'm saying. So, if you got the right offer, I, I wouldn't be hesitant to take it. Now, with all that being said, I want to get off into some NFL news. And we're going to start off with, you know, guys, we always got to start off with my thoughts on this Sunday's game from the Miami Dolphins. And let me say this first and foremost. I told you all last week that it wasn't time to panic. It's one game. It happens. Even though it was an ugly game. It happens. Every team has a hiccup here and there. You don't want it to come in December, but the hiccup came in December. So now you just got to get better from it, learn from it, grow from it, and just hope to God this isn't a continual problem. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you now, it's a real problem. And if you're a Dolphins fan, you should be, you should be railing right now. You should be worried. Because this team may very well end up like every other team we've seen in the past. And it's, it's a sad thing to say. It's a sad thing to see. Because whenever you start a season 8-3, and three, you're hoping to, to be more than just a cringe playoff team. You're hoping to be competing for the one seed, which... They had every right and every ability to do so at that given point. And you're hoping to basically get a playoff win at the very least. I mean, when you start the season 8-3 and three with the talent they have, the moves they made, light drafting, not drafting, trading for Bradley Chubb to help solidify your pass rush in front four, that's what that shows you. Now, I've seen some people saying, this is year one of a new system, new head coach, new regime, all this stuff. Give it time. No, 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 no. People don't be fooled for one second. Don't buy that BS that people are selling. We're not giving this team the excuse of this is the first year of a new coaching system or a new staff. We're not giving that excuse. Why we're not giving that excuse? Because they went all in this season. They said without saying this season we are... We are in position to make a true run to possibly contend for the Super Bowl. And how we know they made that is simple. You went out and got Tyreek Hill for a reason. You didn't go out and get Tyreek Hill who, by all accounts, is aging. I mean, yes, he's explosive, he's dynamic, he's a great player. Maybe a Hall of Fame player one day. But he's aging. Tyreek Hill is 28, 29 years old, ladies and gentlemen. He's not getting younger. You didn't go out and get him to have a three to five year plan. You went out and got him to get better immediately in that receiver room. You went out and got Teron Armstead. You didn't go out and get Teron Armstead because he's this young tackle who can play all 16 games for 10 years straight. You knew his injury history. You knew the guy he was, and you knew what he would bring to your team. That's why you went and got him. An immediate upgrade to over what you had last season, even despite the fact 
that you knew he had injury bugs and an injury history, which we've seen this year. I mean, right now, the dude is battling a pec injury, a toe injury, and a knee injury. This dude has made a paper mistake. And I've said this last episode. They need to find a replacement for him sooner rather than later because he's literally breaking down right before them. But that's neither here nor there. That's a different conversation for another day. Let me get back to my original point. You went out and signed those two dudes, traded for one, you signed one. You went out and got Conan Williams. You needed to upgrade the line, you did that. You went out and dr- traded for Bradley Chubb, giving away your first round draft pick you had last for next draft, I should say. You lost you lost that trade for Bradley Chubb. Now, with all that being said, you have no first round draft pick. And on top of all of that, you started this season eight and three, telling people that the goal isn't achieved yet, that you have bigger aspirations and bigger fish to fry. So what does that mean, ladies and gentlemen? Well, it means what I just told you. It means this team has legitimate aspirations and hopes that this team, as it is right now, is good enough to compete and possibly win a Super Bowl. Now, whether we disagree with that or not is irrelevant. The fact is, they made these moves because they believed they not only had the team, but they had the quarterback and coach that could make all of this very so possible. And ladies and gentlemen, these past two weeks, I'm here to tell you now, Tua Tagovailoa is not good enough as it stands at this very moment as we speak, I'm not saying he will never be good enough. I'm not saying it can't change. I'm not saying I can't be wrong. But as it stands right here, right now, he's not good enough to win a Super Bowl, let alone a playoff game. He's not. Let's let's call a spade a spade. The man is 2-4 in December, January games on the road, ladies and gentlemen. You've lost two straight games in December this season already. The two wins he has on his schedule, one came against a third-string quarterback in New Orleans with Ian Book. I believe that was his name, at quarterback. And the other one, he got benched in, and Ryan Fitzpatrick went and won the game. So not exactly a really impressive or, you know, real extensive resume come December, January. He's, he's been mediocre at the very best. He's been mediocre in, these, in this month. And these last two weeks, he's been awful. Let's just, just call it what it is. He's been bad. There's, there's no need to sugarcoat anything. I don't want to hear excuses about the offensive line. I don't want to hear excuses about the coverage. He's missing throws and he's missing guys. Now, to his credit, to his credit, to not give him all the flake, Mike McDaniel did not call a good game whatsoever this past Sunday. He, he called a terrible game. I will be the first to admit that, and I was the first to say it. Tua is playing terribly, but Mike McDaniel was doing him no favors at all with the offensive game plan he has set in place right now. Because whatever the hell Mike McDaniel was doing and what he was calling, there were certain plays that dudes just were blanketed and just were not open. So you, I can't blame Tua for not having open receivers. And I can't blame Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle for not getting open because... Simply put, they're running routes and being told to run certain schemes that's running directly into coverage. That's on coaching. 
Mike McDaniel had to make adjustments. He had to scheme up a better plan in the second half, even after the first drive. He did none of those things. Now, the film could maybe say different. I didn't watch the film yet. I will watch it tonight. I will admit that. After the game tonight, I will watch the film. So I, I shall see it in the next episode. I can come out and tell you all exactly what happened or what I felt as if happened. But at the end of the day, Mike McDaniel could have called a better game. Point of blade period. I'm... I'm not here to, to tell you guys Tua is the only one to blame. He's not. I mean, Tua is a large part of the blame, but he's not the only one to blame. But at the end of the day, this team has to be better. Period. Point blank. The defense played well enough to win. They didn't. They didn't play lights out by any means. That's any means. But they played well enough to win. I'm still a believer that Josh Boyd needs to be fired. I'm not. I'm going to say that until he actually is gone. I truly and firmly believe he needs to be going. But one thing is for certain, ladies and gentlemen, let's let this, I want this to be known very clear off the top. If y'all don't take anything else from this segment, know this. If the Dolphins just absolutely go up in flames, they just combust, and this season, they go off the rails and finish, let's say, 9-8, and eight, miss the playoffs. Chris Greer is gone. He's gone. It's, there is no more next season. There is no more excuses. There is no more we need to let guys develop. He's gone. It's done. It's over. The, the Chris Grill experiment project, rain, whatever you want to call it, has been completed. He's done. Steven Ross is not going to allow this guy, at least I would hope he would, he's not going to sit there and allow this guy to continuously muck up his job and give him all these resources, all this money, and all these tools to make a successful roster and still not be able to do so, Chris Greer is done. And if you look back at it, a large reason why this roster is not, this team is not where they need to be or we think they should be, is because you drafted piss poorly. Like, let's just be honest. We all crowned and anointed Chris Greer some kind of chosen one and said he deserves being the, the, um, the executive of the year conversation because of what he has done for the Dolphins this season. But we ignore the fact that this dude has drafted poorly for about three years now. I mean, this, this, just look at the 2020 draft itself with Tua, Austin Jackson, and Noah Ibanagi. You drafted a guy, Noah Ibanagini, who literally is a healthy scratch every week now, ladies and gentlemen. He's, your first-round pick is a healthy scratch every single Sunday. He's that bad to the point he can't even dress. It's, it's inexcusable. That's a clear as they miss as a miss can be. Then you got Austin Jackson, who, by all accounts, in my personal opinion, was a reach. I said this dude, I'm, I don't like his technique. I don't think his pad level is good. I think his footing is a bit off. I think he's slow coming out of his get up. I, there was a lot of things I had on Austin Jackson that I thought were not good. The only positive I had on Austin Jackson when I broke his film down back in college was that he was a good athlete. And that's literally it. I thought with good coaching that maybe they could get something out of this guy. But even with different coaches, this dude is just... Terrible, and I, for the life of God, 
do not want to see this dude playing anymore. Now, it's nothing against the man as a person. I don't know this dude personally. I don't, I don't know any of these dudes personally. But as football players, I know what I see on Sunday from these dudes. And I'll tell you right here and now, ladies and gentlemen, Austin Jackson is horrible. He is horrible. That is, there's no other way to describe him. He's just that damn bad. And again, it's no knock against the brother because I wish him nothing but the best, and I hope he can figure it out. But I'm not going to say a lie to myself or a lie to you all either. He's, he's a bad player right now. That's just what it is. And with that being said, let's get to the man of the hour. Everyone loves him. Everyone either loves him to death or they hate him and everything. And Tua Tagovailoa. Now, I've said this on multiple occasions and at multiple times, ladies and gentlemen. I, believe it or not, whether you want to believe me when I say this, honestly, does not matter to me. But I know what I am, and I know who I support. And I've been a tour guy since he was at Alabama and his first season as a starter. In fact, I'll go a step further. When I seen him come in and take over for Hurts and win the national championship game against Georgia, I thought the guy was special. I thought he was spectacular, ice in his veins, live for the moment. I, I thought this dude was really going to be the next big thing. I really did. Goes on to Alabama, sets, sets records, becomes the most accurate quarterback in NCAA history. We talking about a guy who was a clear front runner for the Heisman before he got hurt. Excuse me. This, this dude was just playing lights out. Like, absolutely lights out. And then the draft came. Everyone saying, tank for tour, get tour, get what you can, make sure you get them, whatever it takes, just draft tour. I wanted to draft tour, ladies and gentlemen. I would be the first to say that because, again, I am a tour guy. I believe tour was so great and special that if he was healthy, he would have been, been the first overall pick in the draft. I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that. That's not what happened, as we know. He went fifth overall to the Dolphins, of course, and Justin Herbert went sixth, and the rest is history. Now, whether you want to say they made the right choice or not is irrelevant, because at the end of the day, we have who we have, and the Chargers have who they have. That's, that's all there is to it. And all that being said, Tua Tagovailoa has not been the guy you wanted him to be or you expected him to be. When you drafted him fifth overall. If we can get listen, I know guys like Big O, I know guys like um Skaggs who are smaller YouTuber. I know guys like Dudley Durong who I don't I don't even pay to watch his content anymore. That dude is such a that's another conversation another day, not on a bad mouth another guy, but me and him had our disagreements. The dude for locked on Dolphins, I had disagreements with him as well. Some of these, some of these guys that be on these podcasts and do these dolphin shows, you can just tell that they're biased and don't look this, and they don't look at things objectively. They try to be so open minded to the point where they're lying to themselves, and that's not what I'm going to do. That's not what I'm going to do here, ladies and gentlemen. So, if you expect me to be positive minded about things I say about my favorite teams strictly because they're my favorite teams, then you're at the wrong show. I, I, if anything, I'm harder on my teams. 
because I expect nothing but greatness from them. And even though I haven't gotten that from the the Dolphins or the Heat of late, it doesn't matter. I'm still judge them based off what I want them to be and also what they are. Because at the end of the day, I have a standard that I have. And if they don't meet that standard, I let it be known. It's that simple. I'm not saying everyone has to have that standard, but it's my standard. Now, that being said, Tua Tagovailoa, ladies and gentlemen, he's been, he's been trash. Let's call it what it is. He's been trash these last couple of weeks. He, in the first half, the guy completed three total passes, guys. 25 yards in the first half on three completions. Quarterbacks get that in one drive. He got that in one drive. He was horrible this past Sunday. Against second stringers across the board, you had Sebastian Day out, Brees Cullinan out, J.C. Jackson done for the year, Darren James was out, Joey Bosa was out. They had another D lineman that was out. They had six starters. At least at the bare minimum, six to seven significant players on the defensive side out. At least six. At least. And the offense could have do diddly squats. And the large part of that is because of two of them. I said I'd like to say this, ladies and gentlemen. When you whiff and you miss on three, three draft picks in one draft, and one of them has to happen to be the quarterback that was supposed to be the quarterback of the future. And on top of that, the guy that went after him ends up being significantly better at the position, which Justin Herbert has been at this point. Let's just be honest. Yeah, your job is done. Like if they miss the playoffs, even if they even if they make the playoffs and get embarrassed by KC because if they made a playoffs ladies and gentlemen this is the 7th seed this, this is who they are they're either going to play Buffalo or Kansas City and going to Buffalo or Arrowhead I don't feel good about either one of them in the postseason they go to the playoffs and they get absolutely train wrecked which at this point in the light will happen and they get absolutely bulldozed or miss the playoffs altogether or just simply lose I don't see how in the world you you keep Chris Greer on this roster, on this team. Because it, it just wouldn't make sense at that point. The, the, the dude has to go at that point. He has to go. It's just, that's just me. If, if I was Chris, not Chris, if I was Steven Ross, he would have to go for me. That's just my personal opinion, though. I, I'm not saying people have to agree. We don't have to agree. But me personally, he would have to go. Now, Let's get off into some other games that I thought was some thoughts that I had. Now, the Steelers and the, the Ravens game I thought was interesting. The Ravens have won two games now without um, Lamar Jackson in the lineup, but I need people to realize something. They played the Mitch Trubisky-led Steelers because Kenny Pickett suffered a concussion that game. And they played the Denver Broncos, who by all accounts may be the historically the worst defense, I mean worst offense, we have ever seen ever. Especially, easily the worst offense we've seen in today's modern league. This is easily the worst offense. Easily. It's horrible. I don't want people thinking for one second that the Ravens will be fine without Lamar Jackson. They won't. They, they won't. Don't kid yourself, guys. They, they will not be fine without Lamar Jackson. In fact, I think, I, let me tell you how what's going to happen, right? 
They're going to go on the little game. Because they play the Browns this week. They got a pretty soft schedule to close out this this year. I think they got to play the Bengals one more time, if I'm not mistaken. Because they got the Browns. They got the Falcons. And then after that, they got, I'm looking at the schedule right now. They got the Steelers again. And then they close out the season against the Bengals. So, they don't they don't really face a true heavy hit until the last week of the season. And who knows? This could be a very important game. So, it, this could be for the division, this game. So, we, we, we need to see that as we play out and see how that goes. But with that being said, I don't want people thinking for one second Tyler Huntley can be the replacement for Lamar Jackson. The Ravens don't pay Lamar Jackson, ladies and gentlemen. They're cooked. It's done. It's done. Like, you're not going to play the Steelers and the Broncos every week. You're not going to play in that offense that's going to put up at best 17 points, if that. It's not happening. If they want to be the team that they aspire to be or a lot of us thought they could be, they need Lamar Jackson. They need him. And if he's not there, then hey, if you think Tyler Huntley can be the guy, go for it. When you see that he's not the guy, nothing against Tyler Huntley. I think he's a damn good backup. He holds down the fort pretty well, but he's no Lamar. He's just not. At the end of the day, man, Lamar Jackson, regardless of wherever he goes, ladies and gentlemen, he's going to be He's going to get $300 million. Guaranteed. He's getting $300 million from somebody, somewhere. It's just what it is. So, with that being said, I just wanted that to be known. Now we got week 15 here. Thursday night football. We got the 49ers Seahawks. Going to be a good game. Brock Purdy has been more than enough and better than what any of us could have thought he could have been. For the 49ers since Jimmy Garoppolo went down, who might still possibly come back if they make a deep playoff run. But if Brock Purdy continues to play the way he's playing, I don't think you need Jimmy Garoppolo back, let alone want him to start over this guy. I mean, this guy's Brock Purdy has looked like their best quarterback this season. Like if we're being honest, I mean this this dude was lights out their last game. He, he threw two touchdowns. He was 16 for 21, 185. And simply put, he, and he also had a rushing touchdown. So he, he's he's not doing anything out of otherworldly, I should say, but he's playing lights out in regards to what they're asking of him. He's playing within the system and within himself. And that's and that's all you need. I mean, to be a winner, I mean he did he did that and they won the game by 35 points, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you don't you don't need the guy to go out there and throw for full 500 yards. I mean, that's all you need. You won by a four-possession game, and your quarterback threw two touchdowns and only 20 passes. You'll take it. You'll take it. So, the Seahawks got their hands full tonight for sure. The Seahawks desperately need this game, though. They, they have to find a way to pull this one out, because if they can pull this one out, not only does it raise their record to 8-6, it drops the Niners to nine and five, leaving them a, a half a game out of the first spot in that division, and possibly overtaking them. But also, you move up in the standings in the NFC um, wildcard spot. If so, 
So with that being said, the 49ers, Seahawks, man, going to be a good game tonight. Division rivalry game. Always good. So y'all tune into that. And if I had to get my prediction of who wins this game, I'm going with the Niners. I think the Niners are just a little bit better of a team. I think Geno Smith is going to struggle against this defense, man. This defense is for real. Talking about Ken Law, Warner, the best linebacker doing the lead to me, in my opinion. Then you got that front four. I mean, you got Armstead. You got, <laughs> excuse me. Your Armstead, you got Nick Bosa, who was the defensive player of the year. I mean, this this team is loaded, man. Like it's, it's just no other way to describe it. They're loaded. But all that being said, we're gonna get off into some more news. And we're gonna go over one more game. I'm trying to see where this game is. Oh, here we go. So the last game I want to speak on will be the Saints and the Falcons game. And the reason why I'm speaking on this, well, I know y'all like, well, why does a 5-8 and 4-9 team matter? Simple. The division is still wide open. Like, it's, it's, as unbelievable as that may sound, the division is still wide open for this team. I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now are 6-7 leading the division. And the Falcons could win. They'll be 6-8, and eight, and that'll just be a half a game out. A game out, really, because they lost to the Buccaneers. But... I don't see why in the hell not this game isn't important. They they should they should be trying their best to win this game, both teams, because you're both teams are at the bare minimum two games out of this division. Just two. I mean, it's, you got four weeks left to play. Go for it. Give your best effort. Put your best foot forward. I, I just don't see why not. It's going to be a real big test of Desmond Ritter. It's going to tell whether or not he's the guy for the Falcons moving forward. That's that's what's really going to be a testament here. And all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to get off into my fan Q&A. If you guys do not know already, which you all should know by now, is that I post fan Q&As. Excuse me. Oh, stretch. I post fan Q&As. Every Monday on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, go join Facebook. I'm there in the barbershop group. We actually talk sports all day, all night. And I post my fan QA there where you can post your questions, NFL and beer related. And I also post them on YouTube as well on the shorts. You can come under there and let me know what you think or what you want me and my opinion on. Now, all that being said, his first question comes from Kevin Wade. He says, who in the AFC East is making the playoffs? Well, how it looks right now, my man, unbiased opinion, I think the Bills for certain are going to win the division, and they may very well have the one seed. And I got to still stick with the Dolphins because I'm more of a believer in, in Tua and Mac Jones. I think our team is overall just more talented than the Patriots. And the Jets, I think the Jets are on par with talent. They may be a little bit more talented than us, per se. But I'm just not a believer in any quarterback they have in their roster. I don't care if it's Mike White, Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, the dude from down the street. It doesn't matter to me. I don't believe either of those guys, any of them. So, I said I've got to go with the Dolphins. Now, again, if it goes the 
if, if shit hits the fan, <laughs> someone is getting fired. Maybe a lot of people are getting fired, but just know Jaws will be in jeopardy and he will be lost. Next question comes from Greg Murray. How far do you think the Cowboys are going in the playoffs? Uh, I can see the Cowboys making it to the NFC Championship. I'm being honest. I think this may be this this may very well be a very unpopular opinion, but I do think Dallas is just as good as the Eagles. I think they have a really good defense. I, I think Michael Parsons arguably has a case to be made to be the best defensive player in the league right now. I think Trayvon Diggs has been performing as a top five, arguably top three corner this year. And to top all that off, the front seven is lethal. I think Van Der Esch is very good. I still think Lawrence can give you something to Marcus Lawrence. So they have a good front seven. And I actually like Malia Hooker in the secondary as well. So they got a good front seven, solid secondary play. I, I, I don't know if Anthony Brown is still hurt or not, but if he is, then if they get him back healthy, they'll have a, a pretty fundamentally sound two-corner. So... I think they're fine for the most part. So they can actually make the NFC Championship to me. Next question comes from Nan Martinez. He said, how much more time can the Dolphins give Tua to be consistent enough to extend him? Well, but man, simply put, it comes down to this. For me, I don't know. This is, this is, this is my standard and this was my test for Tua this season. This is it for me. You, it's, it's put up a setup now. That's what it is. You have all the talent around you. You got an all-pro receiver. You got a potential all-pro receiver in Waddle. You got two damn good running backs, in my opinion. You got a good enough offensive line. People can say their issues with the offensive line all they want to. The offensive line is the offensive line is serviceable. It's good enough. I'm not saying it's top tier, but they're a good unit. It's solid. And then you got other weapons around them that can also do damage if given the opportunity, which, again, Mike McDaniel has to draw better game plans to get other guys involved. Mike, are you talking about Sherfield? Are you talking about Mike Gazeki? Are you talking about Cedric Wilson? Whatever you want to name. Got to get other guys involved. This is the year that's going to determine whether or not Tua is worthy of an extension because this is the year. This is the year you went all out in. You went out and got Chubb. You went out and traded away all your drive picks for proven, proven vet players who can get it, the job done now. This is the moment. He has to be great or really good now. He's He was really good back two months ago, a month ago, but now this is big boy football. It's put up a shut up now. You, you got to be better in these months, man. December, early January, you got to be better. You just have to be. Because these games make or break this month makes or break your season. You have to be better. It's, it's just no other way to describe it. You have to be better. And all that being said, they, he, he doesn't have any time. His time is the end of this season. And for me personally, fair or unfair, it'll be time to move on. You can't continuously wait years for him to finally put it all together. Your team, again, your team is aging now. Your best players right now are all late 20s. You have no time to continuously wait for a guy 
to be the guy. It's time to go out and get the guy. They had a chance to do it, didn't do it. Who knows? Maybe something change. Next question comes from Steven Nero Torres. He said, why Skip ain't apologize to Shannon? Yeah, he actually did. I, they, he apologized the next episode they did. They fist bumped and they went on about the show. And so, and just in just case you all don't know, Skip Bandits, I've said this for years, the dude, that's literally who this dude is. He, he insults people, makes fun of them, and belittle them if they don't agree with his opinion or just to fit a narrative that he has, like just for the sole purpose of winning the debate. He's a he's a egotistic maniac and he believes he can't be wrong. That's what Skip is, that's who he is. And with all that being said, he insulted Shannon Sharp basically saying that Tom Brady was better than Shannon Sharp ever was in his career, that Shannon should be hating on Brady, stuff like that. And Shannon took it personally because again it was a personal jab. And he said, so you willing to insult me just to simply put, not have this guy be criticized or critiqued for the poor play he has had this season. And simply put, that's what Skip did. So it's unfortunate. It was unfortunate, but again, he apologized. I see people saying he apologized, so that's a good thing. But Skip isn't changing, ladies and gentlemen. That's just who Skip is. You just gotta accept it. Either you just gotta accept it, or not just watch them. I don't personally watch them because I don't like things like that. It should never get that personal about the debate. But with all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the show. Thank you all for tuning in once again. I'm your host Tavares Wilson. Last word productions. You all follow me on all my platforms. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, whatever social media outlet you have. Nine out of ten times, I'm on there. Thank you all for tuning in once again. And I'll see y'all in the next one.